Welcome to the VO School podcast, dedicated to the art, craft, and business of voiceover. Each week builds upon the last to give you a comprehensive understanding of a career in VO. My name's Jamie Moffat. I'm a full-time voice talent and audio engineer, and I'll be joined by some of the industry's top professionals on both sides of the microphone to drill down and dig up the truth. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. And today we are talking about something that could be perceived as a little negative, a little unpleasant, maybe. (laughs) But it's a vital part of being a voice actor, and that is dealing with rejection and failure. And it's a I say it's a big part because it's something that you never really get past unless you book every single job that you go out for, which nobody does. You have to deal with it. So I'm talking to three people today who have really got an excellent perspective on it and have fought through that as we all have and uh, now know how to deal with uh, rejection and failure and how to frame it in a way that means you won't go mad. (laughs) So before we begin, the usual business, if you'd like to connect with us on social media, we are VO School Podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and you can find those links on our website, voschoolpodcast.com. Periodically, I'm also going to remind you about our Patreon page. Now, if you get something out of this podcast and you find it's helpful for you, I would be very appreciative if you contributed a little to the Patreon page. There's also some benefits that you get aside from the podcast each week. And I think it's patreon.com slash school. Yeah, that's the address. So um, please go there and uh, help us out and that will keep us in business keep producing this every week and there's an awful lot left to cover so we could potentially be doing this for a while if we can uh, if i can justify doing it so thank you to everyone that is currently a patron and follows us on social media we're going to have a couple of quick ads and then we're going to have our interview with kathleen gonzalez jason lanier white and tim friedlander on the subject of rejection and failure Connect your studio to the world with IPDTL. IPDTL is a cost-effective alternative to ISDN without the need for hardware or line rental. Connect, mix, and record up to four locations at the same time, including phone patch, right from your computer. You don't need additional software as IPDTL runs in your browser, and you can even get your own ISDN number. Try a day pass for just $15, or subscribe monthly or yearly. So, for directed sessions, interviews, and of course, podcasts, choose IPDTL. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Okay, so today we are talking about failure and rejection. And... I couldn't think of anyone better to talk about that than Tim Friedland, <laughs> meant in the nicest possible way. Um, and we're also joined by Kathleen Gonzalez and Jason Lenair White. And I'm super excited to have all three of you guys here. So thanks for joining me. 
Cool. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Tim, you were on VOBS a little while ago and I saw that interview mm-hmm. and you talked about something that you'd also actually talked about in our previous episode that we, the networking episode, whatever number that yes. was. Mm-hmm. And it was your journey into the industry and it really struck me that it was a really um, illuminating insight into a lot of ex- shared experience that voice actors have. And that is to do with this sense of failure if you don't immediately go in there and kill it straight away and a rejection with every uh, audition that you don't book and things like that. So I'd like to take you guys in turn and you can introduce how you got into the voiceover industry and perhaps where you are now. And then we can really delve into what failure is and how it manifests for voice actors. So um, as Tim, you were the sort of you started this whole thing off. Why don't you tell us about your story? <laughs> uh, sure. Um, I started originally in um, 98 or so, kind of late 90s up in Seattle when I was living up there. Um, got into it kind of in the old the old adage of like, hey, you got a good voice. You should do voiceover. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in the late 90s, I think that was definitely a viable way to get into it. But, um, you know, after as trends change, as things change, that no longer becomes um, a viable thing to do. And so, you know, there's only so many people who have good voices who can do be in the industry. So I yeah. came to LA in 2002 and the plan was I was just going to come down with my brand new demo and get an agent and support my music career by doing voiceover. And that didn't happen. Um, and you know, I struggled for, for years. I struggled for the next, the next 12 years. Um, really, wow. you know, and it would be hit and miss where I would, you know, push really hard and try and find, I'd get jobs on Craigslist. I would get jobs, um, I actually really, I mean, Craigslist was really the, the, the foundation of my work when I first started. Really? Um, it was much more viable, much more work on there than there has been in the last, you know, eight or so years. I stopped looking on there a long, long time ago. So what, some, how, what are the frequency of jobs that you were getting at this point? Would you say, um, you know, I would, a couple of year, a couple a year maybe, and then I would, mm. you know, one one job I got was a recurring job where I did thirty five documentaries oh, over the course right. of a couple of years. But you know, those they paid a hundred bucks, oh, and right. they were these like, you know, I would spend all my time busting ass editing, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and you know, busting my butt trying to edit and record and do all of this myself. Mm-hmm. And it would take me eight or 10 hours for, you know, for documentary for a hundred bucks. And at the yeah. time you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's great. I'm working. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. working. I'm working. I've, I'm actually, I can say I'm doing, you know, I'm voiceover guy. Um, you know, but after a while that just wears on you and you, you just, you just kind of, you know, you lose it and you don't want to do it anymore. So I quit. I quit. I came back to it in like 2009 for a couple of years. I again made a new demo. I'm like, Hey, I'll get some agents, you know, hit up a couple agents, nothing happened. So then you quit again. Kind of ended up on the pay to plays, mm-hmm. trying to do what I could. You know, at the end of 2015, I had auditioned for a thou- over a thousand jobs and not booked in just 2015. I auditioned for a thousand jobs and not booked a single thing. Oh wow! So at that point, you know, you're like, you know, why even, why even do this? And um, I met, you know, in 2014. In that fall of 2014, I went to Voice 2014. Um, voice convention in Anaheim, and I saw the people that were, I, you know, I jokingly say I saw people who were failing like me. Um, <laughs> but looking back on it now, it was just people who were struggling and somewhat lost and somewhat uninformed 
and somewhat unsure about the fact that that they could decide for themselves what course they wanted their career to take right and you know i have i there's a lot of things that i think are unique to my particular story that have helped me a lot one of them is the you know the workout group that i run and the group that i have because that's it's given me an opportunity to be known by people all over the country all over the world in a way that a lot of people don't get a chance to be known so that right that helps you know um, bring up my visibility and in 2015 the fall of 2015 um which we can talk about more because there was kind of a there were two two kind of two specific moments um one in 2014 and one in 2015 that were you know i was minutes away from quitting voiceover i just turned you know turned around packed everything up and walked away Mm -hmm. um but in 2015 i won the that's voiceover um promo competition oh yeah and that you know, again, it's kind of a unique thing because that was a, a real shot in the arm of saying, hey, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You are good at what you do. And not only that, you're actually good at something you never even thought you were going to do, which was promo. Right. It's something I was like, I'm like, you know, promo is so hard to get into. You'll never get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, it's just kind of been, it's been one day after the next of working. I say I work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I do. My phone is always on. Yeah. I'll answer the phone. If somebody calls me at one o'clock in the morning, I answer the phone. Yeah. Um, I can attest to, to this. You always get back to yeah. me whenever I send you something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, most of the time. And then sometimes I'm like, "Oh man, sorry, I didn't get back to you like three weeks ago on something." You know, <laughs> um, you know. But that's kind of, I guess, that's that's the long, short version of of that whole thing. Well, I've got a ton of questions, but I want to find out everyone else's story, and then we can yeah. come back to that. So, um, Kathleen, why don't you tell us your story as well? So I was living in D.C. for about 10 years, uh, working full time as an actor um, and teaching artist. Um, so and for me, like the majority of my work in acting was it was theater. Hmm. I would do the occasional commercial. I would do the occasional this or that. Some of my friends would be going up to New York or like auditioning for day player roles, stuff like that. I was being a little snooty, little miss. I am an actor. (laughs) Um, So all I want to do is theater. Um, (laughs) So I just didn't even go there. Um, I just wanted to do theater. And, you know, I still love theater, but um, I am a little older now and realize that theater does not pay as well as other things do. Right. So I actually... um, at that time in D.C., and D.C. is an interesting uh, place. I think they now have agents, but at that time, there were no agents. We worked directly with the casting directors. Yeah. Um, so I remember there used to be a, a, a big cattle call audition uh, for all the theater companies and and casting directors would come as well and and uh, companies that, you know, did industrial films and, you know, other things like that, they would come as well. So you would bring 50 headshots and resumes and you'd have two minutes to do uh, two contrasting pieces. Um, and there was a casting director that saw my work and, and on my resume, you know, like the different dialects and accents and things like that that I do. Um, and she called me up and asked me if I could do a Salvadorian accent. So I was like, can you give me 24 hours? (laughs) Um, I mean, who can't? (laughs) Right. Um, So I did my research online to try to find a native speaker um, so I could get the gist of the, you know, of of what was, you know, important in terms of that particular 
you know, that specific uh, an accent. I've done, you know, Latino sounding stuff and Hispanic, you know, sounding stuff before, but to be very specific to El Salvador. Yeah. I couldn't find anything. And I went to the grocery store going, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm, I'm just going to do a typical Hispanic you know, accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so it turns out that the lady I was speaking with at the checkout was from El Salvador. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, can you please read this for me? <laughs> you know? And she was amazing. And um, she told me what time she gets off work. And I met her and, you know, she talked to me a little bit about the accent, like things that I needed to look out for, like certain ways that they pronounce certain things. Um, and then she read it. Um, while I recorded it Mm. um, and then I was able to rehearse that evening and then the next day I did the audition literally on the phone and um, she cast me for you know for that particular spot and then I started to put you know like I put that voiceover gig on my resume and people started calling me for voiceover stuff Mm. Um, so that's really you know how I lucked out um, with that so you kind of fell into the industry really it wasn't really an intent intentional thing no not at first it definitely wasn't intentional at all so once you booked that first gig you say it sort of led to other gigs how long was it before you realized that this was going to be something you devote your time to you know interestingly enough life happens right Mm. um and my sister was going through some things she lives in florida Mm. so i you know, I told her that I would move to Florida and um, spend a year there. And I was like, I will give you a year of my life, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and one year turned into four. Oh. And it was, you know, in unfortunately, it was in a part of Florida where, you know, th- th- to think theater doesn't pay. Theater really does not pay. Like, it, mm. it, it might pay your gas for like a week. You yeah. know, that that's it. And I just was like, OK, this is not going to work for me. So I decided I would focus more on voiceover. So mm. I started focusing more on that, um, obviously having other jobs as well, but just focusing more on voiceover. And um, a strange thing, I guess, started happening around the fourth year as I started to get calls from studios out here in L.A. asking me to come in for an audition. Mm. Because somebody, I guess, referred me or whatever. Um, and the the same thing would happen over and over where I would say, I don't live in L.A., but I have an at-home studio. You can send me the script and I can send you the audition. And, of course, they would be like, nah, call us when you move here. Right. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I listened to that finally. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And where were you getting these gigs prior to the L.A. people contacting you? I have a client um, in, forgive me, in Chicago uh, that I've done. I've I started working with them when I was in D.C. and um, they continued to send me work um, because I do a lot of Haitian Creole voiceover. Mm. I was getting a lot of people contacting me for specifically Haitian Creole voiceovers. Right. And um, Haitian accented English voiceovers. So I was getting a lot of work with that. Mm. Um, a lot of work for like Caribbean dialect uh, or Caribbean accents um, and and different things like that. So people, I guess they would do a search for that and find my website. And, you know, then they would contact me. Reach out to you directly. Oh, that's Yeah. Great. And then I would also yeah. look for auditions as well. Um, and I did have an agent in Florida that sent me um, auditions for things. And I was able to do that as well. So Cool. Okay. And what about you, Jason? How did you get into this industry? Uh, My story isn't as cool as Tim's or Kathleen's, but uh, (laughs) I'll try to keep up. Um, I started as a 
childhood actor and started to kind of build some traction within the early 90s. And my brother and I, like hundreds and thousands of other people, would grow up mimicking our family members and, you know, people we saw on television. Growing up in the 80s, there was all these archetypes and great characters on TV and whatnot. And so we would just emulate them with the mannerisms, which we thought we were playing, but we were actually teaching ourselves how to parrot or mimic professionally. Um, Now, fast forward to, you know, 2011, 2012, my television and film career really started to kind of plateau. And I I literally started to hate acting or I loved acting. I hated getting auditions. And the reason why is I felt that without trying to sound pompous or arrogant, I'm good enough to book this role, yet I'm not booking. Therefore, I don't want to go on Mm. the audition. But it's so disrespectful to myself, to the agent, to my family, to my bank account for the acting classes I've taken, all that stuff. So let's take a break off of that type of acting and let's focus on voice acting. And within two weeks, people I did not know and people that didn't know each other all started to say the same thing. I would meet them organically and they would say, have you thought about doing voiceovers or you should be, your voice sounds like blank. You should think about voiceovers. Have you thought about getting into voice acting? And I thought it was weird. (laughs) Yeah. So my girlfriend at the time surprised me and bought me a, um, my first class, which was in 2012 at UCLA uh, extensions course, that program. And that was, I think a 12 week class. I wound up becoming the teacher's assistant there. So I got the class for free. I think it covered 98% of the class. So we wound up paying, I think literally $14 $14 for me to take that class. Right. And yeah. it was, it terrified me because <laughs> it was taught as if it was a television or a film class. And so there was a lot of things that were just missing. But one thing that I noticed is that, that we had a guest speaker that came in and he said he had 14 agents. And I attached myself to that and thought, how can you have so many agents? This is weird. And he's, he, you know, um, reflected and told us about regions having a different agent in different regions and i thought that was so cool Mm. and my eyes lit up and i thought if one agent doesn't think i would be that great on their roster i'm sure someone out there as we're all humans and different people think different things sound cool i'm sure that i'll be able to get an agent somewhere else because i'll fill a need and so i i had this immediate really good rush of just positive energy flow upon me yeah And then I started learning everything I could. I ingested as much about voiceover that I could, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, reading books, seminars, where I met uh, in 2014, I met uh, Tim at, uh, I think, Voice 2014. And my first thought is, who's this cool, who's this cool ass dude talking to me with this motorcycle jacket? I'm not cool enough to be (laughs) talking to a dude like this. But um, we opened up a dialogue and told me about his group and... I went through a a really big struggle in 2013 and 14 trying to find my voice, just what I normally sound like and understanding where I fit at, where I fit within the industry and how I can make it work for me and stop trying to force it to give me something that I felt that I needed or I wanted. Um, I had a huge chip on my shoulder when I first started because having some moderate success on TV and film, I thought it's just voice. I'll just pretend I'm on camera and it'll be easy. Yeah. And uh, I started as well on the pay to plays. And I think my first audition I ever did, it was a 30 second spot. It took me about 30 minutes because take after take, I was just horrendous. I didn't even know what I was missing, but I knew it wasn't good. And so I said, I need classes. So I started just training and training and coming to Tim's workout group on a weekly basis. 
and progressively and slowly but surely I started to get more confidence which led itself into me really growing into the actor that I am today. So what were the things that you were lacking from your film and TV experience that you needed for voiceover? One, I would say definitely a respect for voice acting because it's very easy to think that it's easier to do because you don't see us where Mm. to me, at least personally, it's a hundred, that's a hundred and 80 degree turn. It's harder because you don't see us. We have to convey so many things within a small amount of time and be able to not marry what we think we're supposed to go with in our gut or mentally or emotionally because someone's directing us or they just want to hear it in a different way or whatever, wherever they're going to put that spot, they just need it to sound different. And I think I would say that respect and two is confidence, which I, I really truly fully believe will, it's the basis of everything that we as humans do. If you're not confident about something, you're not going to do it at a hundred percent and you'll be timid and shy and afraid to let you yourself give it your own flair, whatever that is that you're into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you said that you were on the pay to plays at first. Is that how you found your first few gigs or did you have connections previously from your film and TV work? Uh, no. Everyone I knew in film and TV had kind of fizzled out within the mid to late 90s. And mm. a lot of them did, uh, some of the agents did open up agencies and had a voiceover department, but it was looked at as if well, we'll just accept everyone. And if people book, that's extra money. And if not, no big yeah. deal. So, right. um, and then all my contacts, literally, to be honest, I couldn't find these people. They either right. weren't actors anymore. They just moved on. Uh, like Tim said, it's it's challenging. LA is not, <laughs> it is not a friendly city for <laughs> careers, you know, in the yeah. entertainment industry. It really is cutthroat. Yeah. And uh, I started there on a pay to play, seeing what worked. And I mean, when I talk about from the ground up, I literally would place the mic half an inch to the left and then audition all day long. Then the next day, put it back and try <laughs> different placements. And I, I had to, I, I started to respect our craft and what we do. Mm. Mm-hmm. So how long did it take you to get to the point where you were regularly booking and you're like, this is, this is it. This is my career. This is where I'm going to be placed um, I'll answer that in two forms, uh, in with two answers. Uh, mm-hmm. one to me, I feel it took rather quickly and I'd say probably a little over two years. And the okay. reason why is the answer number two is because of the workout group. I was constantly going. So I was able to hear what I was doing and not judge, but hearing certain things that I would do that I could change or tweak or things that were working well for me or just basically boosting confidence and listening to everyone's feedback and Mm. just in the, in the gym, just working. Um, I try to contrast it to, or I try to compare that to going into the gym and instead of lifting heavy weights, you just take the five pound weights and you're just constantly just going at it. You don't even know how many reps you're doing, but you're doing somewhere around a thousand. And when you leave, you look at your arms, you go, good Lord. (laughs) I look, my arms look pretty good. That's how I see it. It's a slow burn and you have to have the respect there to want to get better, put in the hard work. Well, that's, that's great. And thank you all three of you for telling, telling me your story and telling everyone your story, because I, I always like to start these episodes by hearing how everyone got into the industry, because everyone has such an interesting journey into this industry and everyone's completely different. Um, some people fall into it and they just have the luck of the draw. They just 
go ahead and I want to do a voice, have a voiceover career, and they seem to book immediately. That sometimes happens, but I think it's in reality a very small percentage. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, um, you have. Tim, you, I mean, your resilience is incredible, <laughs> how long you persevered at this, and it's obviously paid off in the end. But I do like to make that point to a lot of people when they listen to this this podcast that there is no real sort of one route into this. Um, now, a lot of people listening are towards the beginning of their career, so um, they're going to face a lot of rejection, and that could be viewed as failure, which is the subject of today. Um, so... I'd like to analyze rejection in its own right, really, and and try and work out what it is that it does for your career, because it is crucial. And it's it's crucial to get used to being rejected for things, because <laughs> even when you're at the top of your game, you're being rejected for more things that you're book than you're booking. So it's yeah. good to sort of embrace it in a way. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, who wants to analyze that a little bit? Um, I'll start with that. I think the... Um I think the first thing is to not even think about it as rejection. Mm-hmm. And that I think becomes, you know, the hardest thing, the hardest thing to do. And, you know, cause you assume that, that you're, you're going to submit an audition and somebody's going to go through that and go, Nope, you're rejected. Nope, you're rejected. Nope, you're rejected. Yeah. Oh, you're selected. And it doesn't ha- having now been on the, on the, on the opposite end of the casting side of things, I can, every single that I, everything that I've listened for, I've, that I've, helped cast with there was nobody that was rejected there was just one yeah. person that happened to be the right one for that job mm-hmm. and it yeah. was like you listen to me go oh that's you know that's that's pretty good oh yep you know that, oh, yeah that's that's really good that you know they're not right for this one that might be right for something else and mm. that's not a rejection outright which is the way i think that a lot of us think about it which is we didn't get it therefore we suck yes mm. and that becomes this big leap that people that we we all make and that i make have always made, um, and I, I come from a, from a music standpoint, or from a music background, and from a theater background, plus an education background. Mm-hmm. So I, I again have kind of a unique perspective in that I can see this from I've seen it from all sides. Yeah, and I think the you know the most important thing you can do is not think about it as rejection. It is so hard to do, it's so hard to say that I'm not being rejected, um, and to not take feedback as negative. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that we take feedback as, oh, well, you know, what you just did was terrible. Now do what I want you to do. As opposed Mm. to, you know, hey, you know, what you just did was great. Now let's try something different. Because people don't, there's not a lot of time to say, hey, you know what? Excellent job. I really loved your choices. That was really phenomenal. I could see you worked really hard to make that, get it where you wanted it to be. But now let's try something different. People are just going to say, you know what? We don't have time. Hey, let's try something different. Mm -hmm. Right? And so we internalize that. And I'm I'm going to use, if I can use Jason as an example on this. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen him. I saw him work with a coach. And I I was on the outside listening in. And I was like out there going, man, you're, he's doing so good talking to the coach. Man, that's so great. He's doing so good. Listen to like you gave him all this direction and he did everything you wanted him to do. Yeah. Jason comes out of the booth <laughs> and quits voiceover for two and a half or three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Literally, that, that's not like that's not an exaggeration. That is like literally he was like he was like, God, I was and, and I didn't know this. Like I think two or three weeks later, he came back and he was like, it's like, man, like, you know. Like what? What? What did I do so wrong? Why was I so terrible? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Dude, you were awesome. That was great. Like you did everything he asked you to do." And he was like, "No, I, you know, I'm so bad. I I quit for like three weeks." 
Well, we all play these games with ourselves and, and our mind plays tricks on us. So, Jason, what, what were you thinking in the booth and then what did you take out of the booth and what was it that really just ruined you and messed you up in that instance? I think, and I mean, I literally recall that session and yeah. I wind up acting when I left. Uh, I got pretty emotional because I thought that I wasn't giving um, the director at that time, the coach, what he wanted 100% because I was so in my head. Right. I was so used to what I think it should sound like. And that's also what, I don't want to call it a trap, but that's something to be wary of, of the pay to plays. A lot of times people will get praise for something that they do that's specific to them. But if others hear it and they say, that's not working here, I need you to switch it up. That kind of becomes your joker card. Your wild card has now already been played. What, what do you have in your hand? What, what mm. other five cards do you have? And so mm-hmm. uh, I just remember thinking I wasn't at 100% with everything that he asked me instead of let's wipe the slate clean take my moment and then give him what he needs. What does it need? And I always ask myself that, what does this particular situation, script, character, what does this need? So were you not living up to your own expectation of how you should be performing it? Or did you sense that the person directing you wasn't satisfied or was it both? Uh, No, I would, uh, the first instance that you said that I just felt that Again, as actors, we think I've taken X amount of classes. I've trained this long. I've read this long. I've done this many auditions. I should be at blam here. And I feel that I'm not exceeding that or at least hitting that level. Therefore, I suck. (laughs) Right. Right. I've done 100 auditions. I should book at least one. So I must suck. That's just our brain needs to simplify it. And uh, during that day, that's what happened. And Kathleen, is is that familiar to you? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I think we all. I think we all go through that. Um, you know, it's like uh, there's a, a a cliche that that people say that where it's you are your worst critic, mm. um, and it is a cliche mm-hmm. for a reason um, yeah. because it's true. And we, I think, as artists, any artist, um, you know, art is such a personal thing. It's not yes. like any other business in the world because mm. you can separate yourself from, you know, a sale or you can separate yourself from, you know, a building mm-hmm. that you're building or whatever. But art is you, yeah. you know, and so it's very hard, I think, for artists to not take things personally. And that's something that we, I believe that we have to develop just for our own Mm -hmm. mental sanity, you know, because it it is subjective just like any other art. And, And so it is subjective based off of the viewer, the listener, the whatever, and what they like and what they find appealing to them. Mm -hmm. And the person next to them Mm -hmm. may find something completely different, you know? And so, um, it's it's very hard, but it's definitely I think it's a survival skill for us as artists mm-hmm. to develop that not taking it personally yes, abso- because absolutely. it is a business, yes. you know, and, and it's hard because it is our voice. I mean, the voice is like mm-hmm. one of the most personal mm-hmm. things. Um, and so in that respect, getting feedback from someone choosing not to take it personally is actually very freeing Mm -hmm. and and because you know and i find for me that i do the worst when i'm trying to give somebody what they want Mm -hmm. right absolutely you know Mm -hmm. and because i'm i'm judging myself the whole time you know Mm -hmm. and going oh i didn't do exactly what they wanted or whatever you know whereas sometimes when i just shake it off and let it go and go hey i'm gonna go in there and i'm just gonna do my thing they like me they like me if they don't they don't yeah and those are the best auditions 
It was yeah. really interesting here you talking about the process being an art form. And I think mm. a lot of the time that's lost um, because a lot of what we do is centered around business, particularly obviously the commercial world. It is a business as well as an art form. <laughs> yes. And you sort of have to uh, separate that in your brain. Um, I want to talk a little bit about going on from that, the sort mm. of financial side of it as well. Mm. If you know that there's an audition coming up for a project and there's a flashy number alongside it and your bank account's not too healthy you're going to put a lot of pressure on yourself i really want to book this this is going to be you know you know the key to my financial security or whatever mm -hmm. so how do we manage our our expectations in terms of uh, the the practical side and the artistic side would you say um i, I don't i don't look at how much it pays mm -hmm. um i think that's you know it's it's a hard thing to do because, you know, and also it varies depending on where you are in the country, you know, because yeah. if you're living in L.A. and you get a job that pays five thousand dollars, that's much different than if I was, you know, when I lived in Idaho, lived on a farm and it paid five thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Yeah. That's a massive difference um, in cost of living and, and depending on how you do it. But I think you have to again, a lot of this is like is, is choosing how you're going to think about something and that, you know, if I'm going to audition for a job it's as important to me regardless of how much it pays. Mm -hmm. And so in, you know, those, those hundred dollar jobs, whatever it might be where you start, that's the foundation that gets you then to the big jobs that you want. It's the same thing. You know, we talk about like, you know, when you meet somebody, um, you know, or you're talking to an agent or something like become friends with the person answering the phone mm -hmm. or their assistant, because in two years from now, they're going to be the agent and they're going to remember you from, from, you know, when you met them at a cocktail party, you met them at a bar. Yes. Have I ever, yeah. I, who goes to cocktail parties anymore? Exchange the lounges. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but, you know, this, and the same thing is like, you know, this $100 job you get may in a year turn into a $1,000 job, which may then turn mm -hmm. into a $10,000 $10, job. And, and I'll use an example. You know, I use myself as examples. Mm -hmm. Not, not, and I, I was, I'm, I'm humble and I don't like to brag about anything, um, which anybody here knows, yes. knows that. But this is a great example. Go right ahead, of, <laughs> Nobody cares. Um, <laughs> um, is, you know, part of an, one, answering the phone whenever it rings and being willing to do a job that I don't know anything about because somebody asked me to do it. So I got a call. Um, on a Friday night at 8.30, I was having barbecue up the street at my favorite place, which went out of business. <laughs> um, and uh, I got a call and I said, hey, we want to do, um, you know, would you be willing to do a sizzle reel for us? And I said, sure, thanks. And I hung up. <laughs> and, I, and I called back and I was like, I'm sorry, I, I, so sorry, who are you again? Where did you Where did you find this? Where you? He's like, oh, I'm from this company and, you know, we're doing sizzle reel. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. How much does it pay? He's like this. I'm like, well, you know, okay, that's fine. It's, it's low, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's somebody who called me specifically. Yeah. Found mm -hmm. my website, called me directly. So, you know, I worked with them from probably nine until two o'clock in the morning on this 30 second sizzle reel. And going back and forth and helping them out. And they called me again a week later. And they called me again two weeks later. Wow, and then they yeah. called me three months later. And they had me go into their office and do this, do another sizzle reel. And they had me come in and do a sizzle reel for an entire episode. And then they called yeah. me and said, hey, you know, remember that sizzle reel that you did that uh, did for um, the show's gone to network. And they're going to do the entire series. And you're the voice of the show because you did the oh, sizzle reel for it. <laughs> and so that turned into an eight episode History Channel series. Right. Oh, cool. And so, you know, I think had I said, well, you know, I'm only going to do the, the full History Channel series. I'm not going to do the sizzle reels for you. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. never you never would have gotten there. 
And you've got to be in a position where you can do that without, you know, the, your bank foreclosing on your house. You True. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, absolutely. So. Yeah. I mean, and, and through my whole, you know, up until 2016, I was trying to, you know, playing music full time, teaching full time, doing mm-hmm. private lessons as much as possible on music, running the workout groups, doing auditions and in grad school. So you put mm-hmm. all that together, you well, know, all of those combined uh, got me to where I was able to to do voiceover you know, full time. Um, and not to take up way more of this, but this goes back to what I said about 2015 of yeah. the two moments where, you know, there were kind of defining moments in, in my career was um, in, you know, September of 2015, I started in, you know, I got, I get back into voiceover in, in August of 2014. And I think that by, well, you know, by June of, you know, six months later, I'll be doing this full time. Right. Right. Which goes mm. to the either overconfidence, <laughs> lack of confidence, you know, ignorance, stupidity, whatever you want to call it, thinking that I could go from nothing to full time in and support myself making a living in, you know, six months. So come September, September 1st, 2015, I'm sitting on my porch, literally not able to pay rent. I had $40 in my bank account and I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm packing everything up, moving back. You know, I'll move back to the woods in Idaho and live in a farmhouse for a while and go hide away from the world and call it quits, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, the testament to the community in LA is that some people stepped up and helped me out and they said, no, this is, you know, you may not believe in yourself or what you're doing, but we know you need to be here now. Yes. And that was September, and then in November, I won the promo competition. That's <laughs> that's voiceover, and yeah. and that I was like, oh, okay. Well, I don't suck. I'm not terrible at this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe I maybe I have there isn't maybe there's a chance to do this. Um, and so you know, I think if you really want to do it, you will do whatever it takes financially to keep yourself in the game. Mm-hmm. And if it takes you, you know, if it takes you 12 years or 15 years, like it took me, then you're going to do what you need to, to, to last that long. If you yeah. decide if this isn't really what you want to do. And I think, I, I think this is something that's important too, that we don't talk about, um, is that it's okay to quit. Mm-hmm. Yes. If this yeah. isn't something that you get into and realize that this, that you don't want to be doing this, that it's okay to say, you know what? I did my best. I tried. I really am not the type of person that can do this struggle the way that it has to be done. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. I, yeah. I go back to a lot of um, this new this not this new concept. It's, um, I made this up. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> but enlightenment. Yeah. The the, you know, the idea that don't don't always you don't necessarily always have to follow your dreams. That you can follow, be open to following what you happen to be successful at. Mm. And I think if you, you know, I, I use examples like I, I'm never going to play football. I'm never going to be a football player. Mm-hmm. All right. So that might, might, might have been my dream, might be my dream one day. I'm never going to be a football player. If I spend my entire life following, trying to literally bust down and follow my dreams, yeah. it's never going to happen. But if I pay yeah. attention to what I'm good at, then I can kind of follow where things will take me. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, Jay, following on from that, Jason, have you been in a situation where you've had people approach you and ask you how to get into the industry and you've had a coffee or a drink with them or whatever and, and had to sort of give them some home truths, you know, how how the industry actually is? And because I've had situations where people are in financial problems and they've got, mm. you know, they've lost their job or whatever and they're like, right, voiceover is my 
to get out of this. <laughs> yes. And I, I, it's sort of a bit heartbreaking, really. I, I don't like to do that, but you know, if I feel a responsibility to say, look, this is not going to be something that's going to start paying your bills quickly, even if yes. you had the greatest voice in the world and you know all the great, uh, fantastic microphone. Um, so, what's your approach in that situation? And you know, you know, what's your experience with that? Um, I try to get. I try to get people to understand that they have to, it's not an overnight success. It takes mm. a lot of hard work. You can't will a rose to grow overnight. Mm. And people have had, they have to understand that. Um, with actors specifically, uh, our art looks is constantly looked at as it's diminished because we have to perform in front of you. A painter can literally just pull out a sketch book and just sketch something or a singer can sing, you know, um, half of a ballad or whatnot. A, a musician can go ahead and play on the guitar or whatnot and play a couple of licks and people get it. But with us, unless we're going to pantomime something, we literally have to perform for people. And I mm. think not being able to see us do it visually, there's this whole sense of easiness that comes along with it. Oh, it must be easy, right? You just right. pop a mic up, you'll tell me how to read this, and then I read. True. However, you're going to be sounding and using my cadences, not your own thing. Mm. And I think, number one, it, it, it goes back to what Tim says. It's okay to quit. And even before you get started, it's okay if this doesn't become a full-time thing. If you have to have a side job, a job, or another career, that's completely fine. I've yeah. done that within the course of this time as working as a full-time actor. There's months where... I think, okay, my outlook is this, and if I don't keep pulling in, I'm going to have to get something on the side. And so I right. will. And luckily, thankfully, some you know things happen to where I'll let that go and I just act full time. But there's this whole inner battle that happens where I'm lesser than or uh, I can't believe I didn't prepare for this or whatnot, and I try to learn from those experiences. So when I'm sitting down with someone and they're telling me, like family members will do this all the time. Hey, I see you success within, you know, acting or voiceover or whatnot. I want to do that too. I tell mm. them, sure, get yourself a decent mic, take a beginning acting class anywhere, and then be willing to invest at least two years. And yeah. that's kind of like the three bullet points I tell people. And usually when they get about to the two, the, the two years point, they don't want to do it or right. their face glazes over or whatnot because it does, yep. it's going to take time. You need a year of understanding what, what it is that you're doing, just wrapping your head around reading copy you've never seen before. And then you need that second year to dismantle everything you've learned and put that machine together the way you think it needs to be operated. And some people just, they, a lot of them don't want to do that. They want that instant gratification, that instant mm -hmm. success. And the, and that, that, the, the nature of the fact that we're behind the scenes mm -hmm. means that there are yes. no real big breaks i mean uh, certainly mm -hmm. in my experience i've done some big projects but they haven't like launched my career <laughs> in a whole different direction <laughs> yeah right. um, when you find one let us know please yeah <laughs> right exactly if i could so, add to um yeah. to what jason said i think you know this is a career that ebbs and flows <clears throat> and sometimes it ebbs and flows because you're not getting the work sometimes it ebbs and flows because of things happening in your life mm -hmm. um and one of the, you know, one of the most important things about having this be a, a career that is long term 
I think is is having that flexibility, you know, yeah. being being flexible, finding those jobs that you can do mm-hmm. while, you know, that that can keep a roof over your head while you're building up, you know, your career. Um, yeah. So I moved here in at the end of 2015. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I for me, the big thing, because while I was living in D.C., I saw many of my, you know, my fellow actors were like, yeah, we're moving out to L.A., you know, <laughs> and a year later they would be back. Yeah, it didn't work out. Finances, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So when I moved here, I decided that I'm not going to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um and this was my personal choice. I just, I was like, what do I need so that I don't leave in a year? Nice. Yeah. I need a safe place to live that's affordable that I can, you know, that I can pay for. I need to have income coming in to cover those expenses. And I really needed to have a tribe of people that I could rely on. And mm. I've been so fortunate in, you know, and those were the most important things. L.A. Um, is one of those places that it takes forever to find a place to live. It took mm. me almost 11 months to find my apartment. Wow. Okay. And I'm super grateful. I'm, I I could not have found a better place for me. Mm. Um, so were you and, couch surfing for that 11 months? Uh, I was subleasing. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. You know, and yeah. finding an apartment was my full-time job. And right. I, and I used my savings to sublease, you know, and then, right. uh, was, I think I was able to pay like two months rent once I moved into my apartment mm-hmm. and then, then the next hustle was being able to continue to pay rent. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and then also I think for me, um, I also started taking classes and things like that because I am not just a voice actor. I'm also an actor Mm -hmm. and I've done on camera work and I would like to do more on camera work, but, but my, main thing and my love is voice acting. Yeah. Um, and I moved out here knowing full well that the demos that I had worked for the market that I was in, but LA is like the Olympics of acting. Mm, and, yeah. you know, I have such respect for it that I'm in the process of now fixing, <laughs> fixing my demos so that they are to the caliber needed. You've grown. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, right. and, and, and I have grown. Um, and, you know, I'm super grateful for the workout groups, um, both, Jason's and Tim's um, that I that I attend both of them because you know we're it's it's such a great community of of people like we are so supportive of one another mm. and really there to help one another um, and and I'm just super grateful for that um, and then also in this process to give you an example of things that happen that are not necessarily uh voiceover related in terms of the ebbs and flows mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. in August of last year I was hit by by a, a guy in an SUV oh, and um I am still recovering you know from from the injuries from that mm-hmm. um oh. and it's it's taking longer than I thought it would mm-hmm. and there have been times that I have had to say I cannot do that job because it would require me to be standing in a booth for hours on end. Mm-hmm. And I can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. So it's like I so now I've put the brakes in in some ways for my own health, mm. you know, on certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it sucks. It's the you know, but but it's life yeah. and life happens. And this yeah. too shall pass. Yes. Yeah. You know, and this is you know, this is just a part of it. And it happens you know what are you gonna do mm-hmm. yeah i mean having i mean the fact that you spent all that time 
preparing the ground and doing all that stuff means that you are probably not in a <laughs> a bad situation now that that random event happened to you. So, I mean, you right. know, that preparation has paid off. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's the thing is to have a stable, you know, as stable a base. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I've I, I have struggled some since the accident, mm-hmm. right. um, especially. And I've been very fortunate, um, you know, to to be able to apply for certain grants and funding and things like that to help me um, mm. as an artist, which, you know, I'm so grateful that there are those foundations and communities out there that help. Um, yeah, yes. So that has helped me remain here even after, you know, after that. Um, but it is, you know, it's a it's a process, um, you know, of just being like, this is this is what I'm dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, you know, how am I going to continue to pursue my career and continue to keep a roof over my head at the same time. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, life is messy <laughs> and things come out of the, the woodwork and it's really That's a nice way of you know, putting you have it. To yes. be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this episode, I mean, unfortunately it's, it's a slightly more of a grumpy one, <laughs> a sad one <laughs> compared to other episodes, but I do want to persevere with this a little bit be- before we go yeah. on to the more positive stuff. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on, Another subject, which maybe is a little controversial, I don't know, but how how do you guys deal with negative people in your life? Friends, family, co-workers, mm. who maybe aren't supportive of your decision to go into the performing arts? Because it uh, it is a little precarious, we've talked about that, but then mm. some people may not act in your best interest. So how, how do you guys deal with that? I can speak to that. <laughs> yeah, please. I think... You know, people who love you and know you in your life, they want to protect you. And um, they've, you know, they've heard the stories or they've seen, you know, whatever. Or they know things about you, about how you used to be when you were growing up or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And that so there's two things happening. One, they're afraid for you, which is really their own fears. Mm-hmm. And then two, they're thinking about maybe someone that they knew, maybe you as a kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Um it, because that's who who they think of when they think of you for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just trying to protect you, yeah. um, you know. And yes, they're they're going to be naysayers, um, and there's a lot of ways to deal with that. You can tell them, "Hey, listen, what I need right now is some positivity. Like, I get that you're concerned for me, but I really need your support right now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, or you can just say, you know what? They care about me and I know that. And that's their fear and that's their way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, you know, compartmentalize that and move that away from my focus. Yeah. yeah. I guess I'll pick it up from there. Um, on the other side of that, you, um, what Kathleen was saying, you do have those who, for whatever reason, I mean, I guess we can call them haters or naysayers, whatever you will. They just there's something going on within their own lives and they feel compelled to share their negativity with you. And so they yeah. say things that it's so competitive. Uh, oh, that's a really hard industry to get into. I don't see why anybody would want to do blank or boom, 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 boom. They add all these different things in. And it is very competitive. It's very hard to do what actors do, but everyone is an individual and you have a chance to book whatever role you're going up for because no one can do what you do. Even if you're and you have an identical twin or you're a set of triplets, quintuplets, sextuplets, whatever, (laughs) they're all individuals. And so I I forget or I feel that people forget this all the time. 
And so we have to remember, as Kathleen was saying, not trying to preach here, but we are artists. Mm -hmm. There is no difference from an art, from a painter painting, you know, on a beautiful canvas to us reciting a monologue on a stage or street performing or, you know, doing any type of improvised act or just acting in in, all in its own. Um, I tend to let people, I hear them and then I ask why, because I used to get really upset. I'm a very emotional person. Which helps my acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Like, oh, you don't know anything. You you haven't tried doing this, and we'd get into a battle until I started to understand that people are always asking. Out here in L.A., everyone has subtitles. You let them talk, but subconsciously, <laughs> if you press the subtitle button on your invisible remote, you can really see what they're saying. And most of the time, people are either jealous or they're intrigued, but it doesn't come out in that form. And so yeah. they're either jealous or upset because they're doing something, you're doing something they would love to do, but they don't know how to go about it. Or they might even be very timid on wanting to ask you how to get started because they think your response would mean that they're lesser than. Or mm-hmm. they generally, you know, are they, they generally just don't uh, don't know what's going on. And mm-hmm. so that, that it comes out of out of fear, I guess, uh, of what you were saying, Kathleen. Yeah. And um Absolutely. I let people talk and I tend to stay quiet now. That's one of my favorite things. It's just staying quiet because I talk so much. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love to just let them talk and then that they air out what's really bothering them. Yeah. Then I usually say, well, maybe acting's not for you. Or I see. And that's not the way I see it. Right. I like acting. I love it. And I'm going to mm-hmm. continue to get, to get better at it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, you know, I, I think I, I come from like a slightly different, different background in that my whole family is artists of some some kind mm, um right. and my you know my my grandfather was a guitar player my uncle's a musician guitar player my dad's a guitar player he was a um theater teacher drama teacher in college mm-hmm. um you know i i grew up playing music i grew up in the theater i grew up doing all of this stuff so i i came from i don't know that i've ever had anybody tell me that i couldn't do something mm-hmm. on the flip side of that i've also have never had anybody tell me that I could do something, mm, meaning so so it's very much of like oh yeah if that's what you want to do go for it great you can do that if you want in fact not even that if you if that's what you want to do then go for it as mm, opposed yeah. to yeah you know I think you actually might be really good at that mm. you might want to follow that um, and I think that goes to you know the kind of the freedom that my my parents afforded us growing up is that we could do whatever we wanted to do mm. and so part of that dealing with haters is that one. I just don't care. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, that helps. <laughs> it, it helps a lot. And it's a hard thing to do. But, yeah. like, you know, if somebody says, well, I'm, you can't do that, I'm looking at them and go, I, okay. <laughs> so, uh, and who are you again? Why, Why? you know, we all have, um, nobody has to give us per- permission to live the life we want to live. And I think that's something yeah. that mm-hmm. that um, kind of goes into voiceover as well is that nobody we don't have to get somebody's permission to be successful at this yeah mm. but that's that's a wall that you have to scale early it on is in a your career massive and, wall yes mm-hmm. and it, yes. you're very fragile at the start of your career as Absolutely. well you know, you're waiting for everyone yeah. to just you know give you permission or tear you down you know so, exactly yeah and, and that's a tough thing that's a tough position to be in i think that goes to um i mean it goes to the importance of being in the of having a community of having a group of people that do what you do mm-hmm. and obviously mm-hmm. it's easier to do in la it's easier to do in new york it's easier to do in philly where there's people around yeah um but that helps you put the perception puts your perception and hopefully matches it up with the reality of what voiceover is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um, kathleen are you going to say something 
Yeah, actually, um, I, you reminded me. Um, so I remember when I was majoring in theater in, mm-hmm. in college and my mother was like, don't do that. <laughs> we all hear that, right? Exactly. Yeah. She was like, "Why don't you major in something else and minor in theater? You know, like uh-huh. you could do, you know, you could do theater on the side and like, you know, you're so smart. You should do something else that's going to make you money, you know." And you know, granted, you know, it, it it is a it's a choice that I made to do this. This was important for me. And yes, I could have made more money doing something else at this stage at up up until now in my journey in life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. However, I can say that now, because I didn't listen, you know, and <laughs> I was like, I this is, you know, like, I feel like this is like breathing for me. I need to do this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now my mom's my biggest fan. You know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? She makes so, signs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. she'll show up to whatever show I'm in or like come see it more than once, you know, and, yeah. and you know, she's, she's, a, she's my biggest fan. And, and, sometimes you just have to do what it is that you're doing yes and then when people see the proof Mm -hmm. then they believe you as opposed to try to to um you know just uh defend yourself against people who are saying you can't do it sometimes you just need to be like okay well i'm gonna do this yeah and do it Mm -hmm. you know absolutely Okay, so I want to ask one more question and then we're going to get to some audience questions. <laughs> and uh, when is failure or rejection or whatever you want to term it, when is that telling you that enough is enough and you have to give up? You did mm-hmm. say that it's okay to quit, Tim, and that's yeah. absolutely the case. But how do you determine when that point is? You know, I that is mm-hmm. such a tough question to I answer. Know, that's why I saved it to last. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because um, you know, for from for myself, I quit more than once. Mm-hmm. You know, and I um, but I also knew. I think I came back to it because I knew I had quit for the wrong reasons. I knew I had quit because I because nobody told me that I was good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, right. As opposed to finding out that I maybe wasn't success, wasn't good at what I did. You know, and, and when I say like, you know, it's okay to quit, I think part of that is it's okay, you gotta be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have to be honest um, in what this industry is. You have to be honest in what it takes to be in this industry. And you have to be honest about whether you can be competitive or not. Yes. And, yeah. you know, because as much as it is an art, it is, there is a competitive nature to this in that not everybody is gonna book all the time, not everybody can work. But those who are persistent mm-hmm. will work um, if you stick with it. And I think for myself, you know, I, I I quit a couple times, and but I knew that if I had left and gone home at that time, I would have felt like I had failed. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ever want to quit because I was a failure. I wanted to, if I was going to quit, it's because I had done everything I was going to do, and it honestly was not what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. excellent. Um, you know. And, you know, I'll, I'll put that um, on to, you know, I, I played, got my degree in clarinet um, performance when I came out of college. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to realize that I was never going to be in an orchestra. Mm-hmm. I was never going to be in a big, you know, I'm never going to play the Hollywood Bowl on my clarinet. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be performing in a certain sense, you know, like on, on big scales big scale on my clarinet. I would do small little jobs 
that again, kind of what Jason was saying, you know, kind of felt like I should have been better than that. Yeah. Mm. And the honest thing, the honest, the honest thing with myself is that, uh, no, I wasn't better than that. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, mm. I was getting the stuff that I was good at and I had to honestly say, you know what, this is something I can do for fun and I'll play it, um, in groups that I can get into if I decide I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, you know what, I'm going to focus on the things that I'm good at and can be successful at. And yeah. so did I quit clarinet completely? No, but I definitely set aside the thought of being in a, in a, you know, in orchestra or no. thought of being in a symphony. And I am act- in honestly much happier <laughs> by not putting <laughs> yeah. that stress on myself, you know, yeah. because I'm never going to sound, it's never going to sound the way I wanted to sound. And right. I think it goes for voiceover. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And you can do it. But if you just never are going to have something that is going to book and going to sell. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is, you know, I'm talking like the very, very, very small percentage of people yes. that come through. I mean, I can think mm-hmm. of in, you know, the four years that I've been doing the voiceover, the workout group, I can think of maybe two people who have come through mm-hmm. who, who afterwards we decided that this was not the industry for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But right. everybody who comes, everybody I've heard, every single person I've heard, if they decided to stick with it and worked and took the training and made everything they could out of their career, they do have the possibility of working. So when I say, you know, mm-hmm. those of you who, you know, you have to be honest with your ability is that I'm not saying this is like a huge percentage of the people out there are not good at, you know, not, not going to be successful at this, mm-hmm. but that you have to be honest about where you are, where you fit, what you can do, what you can't do, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where you fit and where you belong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, you know, I hate to say like where you fit and where you belong, but that's knowing your strengths and your weaknesses and knowing how you can play those up. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. So, um, absolutely. I'd like to add to that um, just a quick mental shift that helped me that I got from Jack Angel was you're never rejected. You just aren't selected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah so there's many times yeah. when you, how many times you go to the grocery store and you <laughs> see oranges or apples and you, they all look great and they're all apples and oranges, but you only select certain ones yeah. just based on whatever criteria you want at that time. You want firm oranges or softer ones or you know, it's all, it all has to do with preference. And, um, I think for me personally, uh, also agreeing with Tim, when your passion doesn't line up anymore with whatever your drive is. And what I mean by that is your passion is this, to me, this core that you have, you have to do something. You, you dude, you have to be an actor. You, you're a storyteller, yeah. you're a bard at, at heart and you, you're really great at telling stories and that can be on theater and voiceover, film, television, as an audiobook narrator, whatever, street performer, but your drive is, uh, street performing's cool, it's not really my thing. I more want to be, my drive is more in a professional setting as far as on stage or in mm-hmm. front of the camera. or And once those two align, then you start having options that you can choose and pull from. You know things that you can stay away from that won't diminish what your drive or your passion is. Mm -hmm. So once those two converge, then you have something, some, I believe very powerful to say, okay, I know I'm an actor. I know I'm a good storyteller. I know I can get better. I know I wouldn't mind doing film, television, theater, voiceover. So let's see which one of those that I might show a little bit more, Je ne sais quoi. And you know, a little more panache into one of those (laughs) and oh, TV's really tough. I don't like driving around the city. So let's fizzle that out and let's focus more on voiceover. Oh, I like this. Yeah. I'm able to do it from home. I feel less, um, I, 
I don't know why I wanted to say inebriated. I don't, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not drunk, you know, when I'm driving right now. But um, I feel <laughs> that there aren't, there's exhilarated. Yes, exhilarated. There's less stipulations. I can fully be myself and inhibit yeah. it. There we go. Um, and oh, okay. I'm less uh, inhibited. I can just fully be myself in my own recording space and I can bring these characters to life or tell the story the way I want to without anyone judging me on what I look like or what the clothes I'm wearing or this, that, or if I shave today or not, or if I look like my headshots and you start to notice, ah, my drive and my passion, neither one of those have wavered or diminished. I think this is one viable option for me to get my art out. Mm. Definitely. And keeping an open mind is important because you might discover something that you didn't even know you loved doing. Absolutely. Yes. You, you yes. would book, you know, that's happened to me a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Kathleen, what do you, what do you say about this? I, um, I'm in agreement with both of the guys, actually. Um, I, the way that I look at it is if you can do anything else and be happy, mm. uh, then you should do that. It's not an easy path, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it's definitely something that you have to find a way to make it work. The mm. good thing about it is that even though it is an art form and there is some natural skill Mm -hmm. that we all possess it is a skill right yes so if you're not good enough you can take classes Mm -hmm. you can get better you can train you can you know just keep working at it um and if you're willing to do that then then don't quit you know what i mean but if it's too much for you to put more effort in to get better Mm then you're telling yourself something, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and you got to be honest with yourself and it's okay. You're not a sellout. You're not a whatever. You're just doing what's best for you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Excellent. Brilliant. Okay. Let's get a couple of audience questions before right. we wrap up. Um, Dolly Lewis asks, whatever the failure is, whether it's losing confidence in the booth, a clumsy networking moment or not booking a gig, what's an effective way to course correct in the moment when we feel we've failed? Ah. <laughs> I have a good one for go that. Ahead, go okay. Yeah, yeah, let's go for it too. Um, so, okay, so when I was in grad school, I was fortunate enough to, um, to take uh, uh, basically a, a, an intensive or a workshop with um, Anne Bogart in the City Company. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she said that always stuck in my head is every actor needs to have, and, I, and I'm going to change the words here too, an F.U. moment. <laughs> she you said the words the in full. <laughs> right? so, and sometimes you need to do that. You need to just say... You know, F you or F this, mm-hmm. let's shake it off. It It's in the past what just happened, and mm. let's start fresh. Yes. Mm. I agree with that. Um, for me, I call it, and this is going to sound weird, but I'll explain why. I call it leprechauns or Scooby-Doo. There's many times when I was not up. expecting that response. <laughs> There's many, many times when I'm not filling a script or I'm just stumbling over words or I'm doing things where I know that I should I shouldn't be doing and I feel from the professional side of, hey, you know, come on, Jay, what's going on? And I get too much in my head. If I'm on a session, I wouldn't do this, or I do, but I do it mentally. But if I'm at home and I'm doing an audition and I know my truth isn't being shown, I'm not telling the story, and I'm trying to act instead of just being me as this character living in this situation, then I Mm. say the whole entire script or I read the lines as a leprechaun. (laughs) And that gets out of my head because I start focusing on the characteristics that a leprechaun has and how he would say it. And just, 
I characterize it and it becomes funny to me. It sounds extremely stupid. It makes me laugh, which <laughs> now gets me out of my head. Mm. Or I'll say it as I'm Scooby-Doo. And believe it or not, as silly as that sounds, or whatever character that you like or that you know you have an affinity for, try saying it as them, even the first time. And believe it or mm. not, it, it reminds you that this is all just that. It's just that one thirty seconds of your life versus yeah. the hundreds of thousands of hours that you have left. And so failure, everyone fails. Yeah. And what it what was the acronym? First attempt in learning, right? So we all fail at something. Mm. And it's not that we're being rejected, it's that we're being selected. And sometimes you need just a break. Play a game of Mario Kart, watch some Netflix. <laughs> I try to watch something that has something uh, absolutely nothing to do with what I feel at that moment. If I'm feeling dark and down and I feel depressed and I feel that I haven't booked in a while or I'm not viable, if I feel that my agents might not be responding to my emails fast enough or anything that an actor tends to go down and spiral with, then I'll throw in some anime that's mm. bubbly and light. Or I'll watch an old version of an uh, old episode of Sanford and Son and just <laughs> laugh on how, you know, their situations are so... I would kill to have those, you know, those problems that they have in the show. Like, and, yeah. wow. and it uh, it literally does rejuvenate my determination. Mm. And I tend to get uh, uh, that, that old school 40s word. It, it creates moxie. Of, well, yeah. You know, I'm going to go in that booth and I'm going to... Man, I'm going to just... I'm going to tear it up. It's time. Watch this. Okay, that's what I needed, and boom, yeah. and I usually, uh, this wave of energy that just comes from out of nowhere from wanting to prove to myself that I'm stronger than I was. So, leprechauns are Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> Going on from, if you're in a session, though, if, you've got, if you're being directed yes. in the studio and yeah. stuff like that, and you, you find you're getting in your, in your head, mm -hmm. um, uh, do you have any techniques for dealing with that in that very specific, critical moment? Yes, May I have a moment, please? Yes. That's the number yeah. one yes. sentence that yeah. we as artists get to use that we tend to not use as much as we should. Mm. That that informs everyone, and especially ourselves, that we are the paint that the director is using to paint whatever picture they want. Mm -hmm. And so only one can only everyone can start when we're ready. Mm. So yeah. may I have a moment? And to someone who's not an actor, actors are very mysterious. We're very yeah. weird because we have, <laughs> right. you know, I need you to act angry. And then they'll just stop and look to, look at you because they're waiting for you to do a backflip or for you to yeah. get into character or for you to be method. And no one understands or really realizes what actors do to help them create and collaborate the, on their project. So we're given this kind of wide berth of, yeah, do what you need to. We'll just wait respectively because we're not actors. And it is challenging. So I tend mm. to ask, I tend to ask for that moment and then mentally I'll decompress and mm -hmm. I literally will say this mantra, dude, it's not you. You're good. Just calm down and breathe. Yeah. Relax. Yeah. It's just words. You've spoken millions and billions of them. <laughs> calm down. And yep. then I ask that second sentence, what does this need? And the reason why is that that gets all of my thoughts off of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This needs yeah. blank. This needs me to do this. Okay, let's do that. Then I go, okay. And now what felt maybe like 10 seconds to me in, in my own mind was an hour and a half. But that 10 seconds helped me just reset and realize no matter what's not at 100%, whether it's me, the directing, the project, whatever's happening, we're going to get it fixed right now. So let's do that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, I think one thing also to, um, I, I've kind of two, two um, maybe three sides of this thing, but I'll, I'll try and be quick. Um, you know, we're, we're, all, we're talking about this also coming from a working actor standpoint. Yes. Mm. Which, you know, when you get to that point, there is a certain, um, you have a certain foundation of confidence that you can sit back on because mm-hmm. yeah. you know, okay, well, you know, in that session I did before, I had the same thing and I know I can do it. Be- I know I can do it. Um, when you're starting out, I think, you know, that you, you're going to fail mm-hmm. and there will be times when you go into a session and you're not going to be able to do what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and does that, does that mean you fail? That doesn't mean you failed. It means, you know, Hey, well, I guess I wasn't the right person for this job right now. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, yeah. I've, I've been replaced on more than one job where you go in and you're like, you know, in that moment that it's like, you're like, yeah, well, I got through it. And they said, hey, nice job. But you knew, you know, that you're not, <laughs> I raised my you know, hand. <laughs> you're not coming back for that. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's okay to know, it's okay to let, to know that you failed and to learn for next time. And you say, okay, well, either, you know, now I know I shouldn't be auditioning for this type of job. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be going out now because I'm not ready to do it. Yes. Um, and now I need to go back and do some more training and you learn from it. And mm-hmm. if you can learn from it, then you can mitigate whatever failure you might think mm-hmm. has come from it. Um, I think you have to look at different stages of where you are because, you know, failing in or even not succeeding, not even not being able to do what you want to do can either be your your own personal failure, which is fine. Let, you know, let it be your own personal failure. If you do it in a session where you've, you know, you've destroyed a project you're talking about a whole other whole other thing in here, right? I mean, you've yeah. got, and that is a tough position to be in. And I don't know of anybody who, honestly, don't know anybody who's ever been in a situation where, you know, they destroyed a project because they couldn't pull off what needed to be done, fortunately. Um, yeah. You know. Um, that's but, quite an extreme thing. Yes. That's a very extreme thing, you know, extreme end, end of that. But, um, you know, it's, I, I think that um, you will find, I think that, you know, Lisa and I've found that, there aren't so many, there aren't as many hard and fast and strict rules as we think there are. And I think when you do that, the, the concept of failing goes down quite a bit because, you know, there's really no right way to do this to a certain extent. And, you know, I mean, and again, of course, you know, everything we're saying is this is our, our, you know, our perspective, our opinion. And you can all listen to this and go, you know what? Nope, you're all wrong. And I'd say, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. take it and do, do what you got to do um, and do what you think is right and do it the way you need to do it. Yes. Um, but then the, the flip side of that is I had, I'm going back to like a teacher I had in school, is that um, he was a, a choir teacher and he would, he would always say, you know, people, you're gonna, people are gonna, you can come off stage, people are like, hey, nice job, nice job. And the first thing you're going to say is like, well, you know, yeah, it was okay. But in, you know, measure 32, I missed that 16th note run, and, you know, and this. And then, <laughs> you know, I held that note too long at the end. And we will hear things much differently than anybody else hears them. Yes. And definitely. so, yeah. you know, just say, cool, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed what you heard. Because mm-hmm. one, if you tell somebody, well, no, I'm sorry, that was wrong. You told them that what they heard is wrong. Now yes. you told yeah. them their opinion <laughs> is wrong. And you told them that what they think was good is not good. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. what their opinion is wrong. And you don't really have the right to do that to anybody. True. You can't tell somebody what they heard is incorrect. If they liked it, they liked it. Same thing with the director. Like, you know, I mean, I think we've all had 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 sessions where we get done and we're like, wow, that's what they wanted us to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're like, okay. And now am I going to argue? You're going to argue with somebody and say, well, you know what? That's not, 
that's not how I think it really should be done. And I feel like doing it that way is a failure because that doesn't live up to my perception of what it should be. Yes. Um, you know, you just go with it and say, thank you. And uh, I'll see you next time. Call me back. I always think I'm going to get to the point where I, I'm so familiar with my voice and my work that I'm going to know what everyone else says. And I'm constantly still surprised by other <laughs> yes. people's opinions. So my... Yep, yep. yep. Um, J. Michael Collins answered this question on Facebook and he just said vodka. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Vodka, gin, gin and bourbon, I think, was in, was in that order, right? Vodka, gin, yeah. bourbon. Yeah. That's right, um, exactly. Yeah. Good old bourbon. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I think also there's a question about mental preparation prior to getting into the booth. Mm-hmm. Because I, in in my, when I think back to times where I'm like, oh my gosh, I failed, that was horrible. <laughs> I I set myself up for it before I even walked into the space, letting myself get nervous about something, feeling like I wasn't good enough, mm-hmm. you know, and so there, we 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 get to create. Um, this mental preparation prior to going into the space, mm-hmm. um, and and set ourselves up, you know, obviously for success as opposed to failure. And so part of that for me is also, what am I going to take from the session to decide it was successful? Nice. Right. Yeah. Right. So I get to decide, I go in there, I do my best, and that is successful moving on to the next thing of the day. Awesome. Mm, You know, and... And so creating that for yourself, it's it's a game. Yes, it's it, you know, we we're, we're playing a mental game with ourselves. But I think sometimes we have to do that, you know, just mm-hmm. just to to continue to keep going, to continue to survive to whatever. Um, and I also think about um, just something I tell myself all the time is you fail forward to success. Yes. You know, yes. And just you just keep going and eventually you're going up this this stairwell and eventually you'll you'll be at success. All right. Well, what a fantastic way to end it. So Kathleen, Jason, Tim, thanks so much for talking about this. I think you did an amazing job because this could have been a really miserable episode (laughs) talking about (laughs) failure and rejection, but absolutely wasn't. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Where do people find out about your information? So I know, Tim, you've mm-hmm. got Gardner Street LA and things. So yeah. tell us a bit about that. Um, yeah, I've got um, Soundbox LA is my studio. Um, I run the Gardner Street workouts um, on Thursday and Sunday. I run the Gardner Collective workouts with Jay Preston on um, Wednesdays. Um, and then um, voice work. Um, you can find me at timfriedlander.com, spelled like Friedlander. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Jason. You can find me at uh, my full name, JasonLanierWhite.com. Um, middle name spelled L-I-N-E-R-E. I'm always around on the interwebs, on social media and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Uh, and my website is KathleenGonzalezVO.com. Um, Kathleen spelled with a K. Gonzalez is G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S. Z or Z. <laughs> Z or Z, but in the middle, not at the end. The last the last letter is an S. And, and okay. I feel like I need to buy the other website, too, just so that I can redirect yeah, people. That's yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, so KathleenGonzalezVO.com. All right. Very cool. Great. Well, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thank cool. you. Thank you, Jamie. Okay, there we are. Thank you, Kathleen, Jason and Tim. That was such a great chat. 
And yeah, they did very well not making it a super depressing misery fest. <laughs> because it, I think, possibly could have been. <laughs> I'm going to keep this very brief because that was a really long episode and I'm sure you're sick of hearing my voice. So thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to everyone for helping us out. And you'll get the rest of the thanks in about 15 seconds time. Thanks very much. See you next time. Bye. Thank you to this week's guests, our sponsors J. Michael Collins, IPDTL and Backstage Magazine. Thanks also to Kyle Marie Colucci and Chris Sharps for social media support. Special thanks to Patreon super member Angus Gunn. Join us next time for another class. Class.